Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and we are continuing our series on the attributes of God. We're going through A.W. Pink's book, The Attributes of God, and so we are on episode four of that. We're talking about foreknowledge. And joining us today is Pastor Aaron White of the River Hills Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. So, Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be here. Kevin, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity. Now, you were our, actually our first official guest on the podcast about a year ago. And so it's been a year now, and we figured it's safe to bring you back. <laughs> You've let me out of my cage. That's good. <laughs> Was I really the first one? You were the first one. Boy, we went through. You were, uh, you were really desperate for uh, I, I was. attendees. I Since you were the only guy available, we scraped the bottom <laughs> of the barrel, and there you were. Now, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed because in the first couple episodes we talked about, you... you you were very uh, intent on having your coffee with you. Yes. You don't have that today. I drank it in the parking lot before I came in today because I didn't want to be um, heavily rebuked. Okay. And so well, I, I, I drank scalding coffee down in the parking lot in my van quickly before I came in. So I'm filled with the joy of the Lord and caffeine. All right. Well, so I mean... I've got another can of Coke if if you'd like one, but something tells me you're, you're going to turn that down. Uh, no, I, I prefer a more heavenly brew, and that would be uh, what I partook of outside. So enjoy your Coke. I'm going to uh, probably get another coffee when I leave here today. Uh, because That's I what feel we call that, addiction. No, coffee is a means of grace. There, there's a <laughs> theological aspect to this. <laughs> yeah, okay. So anyway, let's move on before we start really getting into it. But I'm going to forgive you because when you came in today, you gave me a free book, as you normally do. So under under the idea of grace, I'm going to let that all slide. Thank grace is only grace if it's free, Kevin. Um, so if I had to give you a book to receive grace, it's nullified. But I did it because I love you um, and because I, I appreciate your voracious love of books. Uh, now, if you could just couple that with coffee, then we would be completely on the same page. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get there. Okay. But somewhere in my house, I will say, there is some reformed roaster still. Uh, <laughs> I think we still have the, the total, totally depraved brew somewhere. The totally depraved <laughs> brew of coffee. I've partaken of the totally depraved brew of coffee, and it's actually pretty good. I, I think I'm, I, I'm, I'll be getting my wife some limited atonement. That's soon. the lighter roast. Yes. Th- yes, that's good as well. So. Yeah. Today's broadcast brought to you by Total Depraved, Totally Depraved yes. Coffee. And well, every broadcast is brought to you by someone who is totally depraved. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> All right, so, but our topic today is not depravity or grace, but it's foreknowledge. Um, and so and we're going through these attributes of God. Uh, the fourth one list, again, we're going through A.W. Pink's book. Um, we're talking about foreknowledge. So how, how would you define foreknowledge? Well... I guess to offer a proof text, if you're, if you're listening at home um, and have access to, to Scripture, or if, it's, if you're driving, maybe you don't have your hands free, but in your mental uh, file, you can maybe go to like Romans 8, 28 and 29. Yeah. And I know you've got a, a couple of proof texts here as well, but I think for some people, this is a, a topic that has been a point of a lot of confusion in the right. past. For some, They've read these passages, and I think they and did what I did for a lot of a lot of years: is you insert a definition that you just seems to make sense. Right. And so I'm just going to read Romans eight twenty eight twenty nine, which is not the it. only, but probably one of the right. clearest proof texts for what we're going to talk about today. Romans eight twenty eight. Of course, I'm using the the ESV, the extra spiritual version. Yes, it's the the official translation of the Basic Bible Podcast. Really, it's brought to you yes. by Crossway. That's fantastic. Well, um, it should be Crossway if you're listening. 
Justin Taylor, if you're listening to this, we could use the money. Yeah, especially the new preaching Bible that's coming out in September. Mm. I, I could use one of those desperately. So uh, just pray about that. Mm. So verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that was verse 28 of Romans 8. Now, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then verse 30 goes on to say, And those whom he predestined, he called, those we called, he justified, those whom he justified, he glorified. And so the reason I want to zero in on that particular passage is simply to note that there is a, a difference, if you will, between foreknowledge, election, predestination. Clearly, they're pointing right. in the same direction. But We're in the same genre, but there are distinctions. Exactly. And I, and I think it's easy to kind of put them all together and say, uh, that has something to do with God just looking into the future. Right. I think it's what, you know, if you were to say, and I'm painting with broad strokes, and so if you're not guilty of this, uh, I'm not putting you in that category, but painting with broad strokes uh, and, and putting myself in that boat in years past, I think we read those words in Scripture, whether it's elect or foreknow or foreknowledge or predestined, they seem scary. Uh, yeah. They seem to demand more than we really know how to give. And so we say, well, it clearly has something to do with God knowing everything and God looking into the future and knowing what's going to happen. Um, and so what we want to do is not go down that road, but just ask ourselves, what does the word foreknowledge right. mean? And so you've got a word, so we break it down to for and knowledge. The word in Greek, of course, that's the original language of the New Testament, is prognosko. Right. And so we have a, a prefix pro, meaning before, and then you have that other word gnosko. And that is, you can almost hear the English derivative in that, prognosko, prognosis. Right. So you go to a doctor and get a prognosis. Um, and if you remember our, our program on Gnosticism, it's the same root there, the idea of knowledge. Yeah. Yep, knowledge. And so I think if we read that definition and we say, well, it, it just means to know beforehand. You know, pro-knowledge. Right. So God looks through the corridors of time and <laughs> sees what's going to happen is... That, that is called uh, baiting the hook, if you're yes. listening at home. Kevin is trying to get me here. I think it's it's easy to read that into that word because it just seems to right. be the, the easiest. It makes sense. Yeah, and certainly we wouldn't deny that God knows all things yeah. past, present, future. You know, But what does the word mean? Foreknowledge, prognosco, to know beforehand. If you look in the context, and this is why I like Romans 8, 28, 29, Look at the context to help us understand. If you look at Romans 8.28, he's clearly talking about people. And we know that for those, so he's talking about people, who love God, all things work together for good, for those who, so we're not talking about actions, we're not talking about inanimate things, we're talking about people, who are called according to his purpose for those whom he foreknew. And so, if we adopt what is called the prescient view, so there's a lot of terms and you might be thinking, oi, prescient, pre-science. The prescient view of foreknowledge would say God just looks down through the corridors of time. He knows ahead of time what people will do and he can see that coming. If that were what we were reading in the text, you would maybe see in that which he foreknew. 
And that which God foreknew, he, he acted based upon what he knew. But you don't see that. You see personal pronouns here. Right. Those whom he foreknew. And so already, if you're reading that, it at least should be a caution to say, why does Paul say it that way? Right. If, quote-unquote, if all it really means is that God looks down through the corridors of time to see what people would do. Clearly, he's talking about people. So then we have to ask a, a question that would fall into the category of biblical theology, is how is the word gnosko or knowledge or foreknowledge, how is it kind of used in the big picture of right. Scripture? And do you want to chime in on that? Like, yeah. You, you know where I'm going. Right, I know where you're going. I, I, I want to quote Pink here. I mean, we're, we're going through this book. He mentions this, which is kind of what you are just saying. But we must not jump to conclusions, nor must we turn to Webster's Dictionary as the final court of appeal, for it is not a matter of etymology of the term employed. What is needed to find out how the word is used in Scripture. Mm. So we're talking about knowledge, and knowledge in Scripture is not just talking about some, simply knowing facts or knowing what's going on. In fact, the word know is used in several different ways, but Pastor Aaron, you're, you're a lot more spiritual than I am. You're, you're a pastor, <laughs> Stop a recording man of the right cloth. Now. Stop recording, stop listening. Um, when I was a kid at my little Christian school, we had this phrase we would use. We talk about somebody, and oh, do you know so and so? Oh yeah, do you know them in the biblical sense? And we see again. So I, I was a very carnal person. Uh, we're not going to get into carnal Christians. That's a different story. But the implication there was: you go back to the Old Testament, you look at Genesis, and Adam knew his wife, yeah. and we see that several times in the Old Testament. So the word "know" there is simply not talking about I have an understanding of who this person is, their existence, who they are, but there's a relationship there. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, Matthew 7, Jesus uh, is talking and he's describing people who are sent into eternal condemnation. And he says, depart from me, I never knew mm -hmm. you. Well, we believe, and as we'll talk about in this series, God is omniscient. God knows everything and therefore everyone. But so this has to be talking about a different um, type of knowledge, a more of a relationship. In John 10, Jesus refers to his sheep and I know my sheep. Well, of course he knows his sheep. He wouldn't even have to say that. But he's talking about something that's more mm. intimate, a relationship. With my students, we talk about, um, do you know somebody? Well, do you know who the president is? Oh, sure, we can, we can talk about Donald Trump. Do you know him? Mm. Well, they can tell by the inclination of my voice, we're talking about something more. different. I think that's, that's very, very helpful. And I think it's, when, when you put it in those words and in those concepts, you begin to see it right. as you study scripture. Uh, the Matthew 7, uh, yeah. 21 through 23, where Jesus says, you know, I will say to them on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah. Those who say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in right. your name? You know, and... and Rightly, I think you pointed out, and I think it makes it, it draws it out more clearly that clearly Jesus is not saying, Who are you? Yeah. He knows every hair on our heads. He's, he is God. He knows all things. So when you read a passage where Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you, it, it almost, when you look at it from that angle, it's almost kind of an aha moment where it's yeah. so simple. You go, Well, clearly Jesus knows who they are. He knows their name. He created right. them. He's their Lord over them, but not in a saving way. Yeah. And so if you take that, 
that way of thinking here back to the, I guess, one of our primary texts, not the only, but Romans 8, yeah. 28, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I think what we're pointing to, and I'll, and again, I'm going to use a lot of superlative language and paint with broad strokes. I'm really not trying to create straw man arguments or to, right. you know, overstate the case. But for the sake of conversation, it seems that that probably, and I don't have empirical data, but just my pastoral experience and my own experience, because yeah. I struggle with these things too, um, and I think m- most do. <laughs> Very few people read the word predestination in their Bible and go, oh, that's I get that, that's fine. Right. Uh, I think the majority view would be the, the prescient view, yeah. meaning God looks down through the corridors of time and sees who will choose A or choose B right. uh, based upon their autonomous free will, and based upon what they do, then God will elect or choose. And so it it seems to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Is it maintains in a sense the the autonomy of man and the so called free will of man and it also makes God to be a gentleman right. who doesn't violate our will but he sees what we're gonna do. He's respectful. He's respectful, choices. he tips a hat to yeah. there's a, there's a nice partnership here. And I'm I'm really not trying to be facetious, I'm just saying I think you know, cut being half full, there are Christians who really right. are worried about misrepresenting the Lord. And when they bump up against a word like foreknowledge, that it seems to take that definition, it seems that that helps everyone save face. That seems to be equitable and fair. Right. But of course, if you go on to Romans 9, you don't want to say, yeah, let's be fair, because God will say, who are you to talk back to me? And I think Romans 9, if you're, if you're in Romans 8 and you come to that view, that, oh, that just must mean that he looks down right. through the quarters of time. Continue on into Romans 9. Uh, and I say that lovingly, but to get the full context, and Romans 9 is a wonderful kind of uh, antibiotic for that way yeah. of thinking that says, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. It, those are passages we have to wrestle with to right. say, well, if you just look down through the corridors of time and you're, you're non-intrusive, Romans 9 looks like a God right. who's pretty hands-on. And Paul goes out of his way to mention that it's not because of what Esau and Jacob did. Clearly. And then... Uh, even just a couple verses down, it's not of him that runs or him, that, but it's God that shows mercy. So it's not our actions that God is looking at. And again, foreknowledge in Scripture, um, it's only mentioned just a handful of times. Acts two, Romans eight, Romans eleven, First Peter one, and in all of these passages, it's always people. Uh, again, I'm going to go back to Pink here, since this is our, our basic text. Um, he says this in, in regards to that. God for and I just took off my glasses because I'm old. I'm supposed to have bifocals now, but anyway. Well, um, you look very astute when you yeah. do wear your glasses. It looks more intellectual. I wear fake glasses just to look yeah. smarter. I should have a pipe. Anyway, <laughs> uh, God foreknew the acts of certain ones, their repenting and believing, and that because of those acts he elected them into salvation? The answer is none whatsoever. Scripture never speaks of repentance and faith as being foreseen or foreknown by God, truly, he did not know, truly he did know from all eternity that certain ones would repent and believe, yet this is not what Scripture refers to as the objects of God's foreknowledge. The word uniformly refers to God's foreknowing persons. Hmm. Well, you mentioned, to Pink's point and to yours, you had mentioned Acts 2. I'm yes. assuming you're talking about verse 23. Right. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, if you're driving, or I'll just read it here quickly. We're moving from Romans 8, 28, 29, and now I'm going back to Acts 2, verse 23. This is Peter uh, preaching on the day of Pentecost. 
And so before I read this verse, just let's ask ourselves, if there were one act or one event that would prove the point that clearly foreknowledge biblically cannot mean and ought not mean that God is looking down through the corridors of time as somewhat of a spectator, Hmm. Um, but only essentially looking to see what people will do and making that, that act of election happen based upon that. If there was any event that would put that to rest, I think it would be the cross of Christ. Yeah. I mean, what I mean is if there's any event where you, you want God to be more involved right. than simply looking forward and seeing what men are up to, it would be the very source and fountainhead of our salvation. Mm-hmm. I have a very vested interest as a sinner in God orchestrating and not just right. observing and then you hear Peter's words in Acts 2.23. says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yeah. Are those men culpable? I mean, could, could God, in a sense, look forward to see what men are doing as moral agents? Yeah, he says, you killed by the hands of lawless men. Yeah. He'll go on to call them to repent and be baptized. I mean, they're culpable. They're not robotic. And yet we know that God didn't just simply look forward to see how the cross would play out. Yeah. He says, by the definite plan, foreknowledge of God, all of it ordained, from the, the kiss of betrayal from Judas in the garden to the silver paid you know, uh, to betray Christ, to Pilate, to even the very tree that the cross was hewn from, this is all on the stage and platform of redemption that God right. ordained. And so that, that doesn't answer every question. But I think passages like that at least challenge our thinking if we're still leaning toward, well, foreknowledge merely means that God looks down through time to see what's going to happen. Clearly, a passage like that would make you stop and ponder and say, well, I know God was actively involved in the cross. Right. I know he wasn't wringing his hands in heaven hoping things played out. Clearly, if there's any event, I mean, you, you might not buy that he's that involved with Pharaoh or you know Joseph being thrown right. into the pit and sold into slavery. Maybe or even Adam's fall. I mean, how is God sovereign over sin? I mean, that's a big conversation. But I think maybe we could agree on the cross that we know and, and we relish the fact that God wasn't just simply observing that God was moving. Yeah. Um, so then you compare a text like that to all the other texts that you mentioned that when it says Adam knew his wife, clearly it means he knew her intimately for knowledge. God is intimately involved, and it doesn't say that which he foreknew, those whom he foreknew. Yeah. Now, I think when you study this topic, and this is just what I've seen, and my observation is that you get to a point where it's a difficult doctrine on the front side because it, it's very big and intimidating. But once you start studying it and you start looking at other passages and you start seeing a, a big picture view of what God is doing, the meta narrative of Scripture, yeah. what these words mean, I think at some point you, you, it changes to it's not a difficult doctrine because it's hard to understand. It's now a difficult doctrine because I think I know what it's saying. Yeah. And what it is demanding that I acknowledge is sometimes scary, and that is God is sovereign and He has every right to know some in a loving and saving way, and to pass over others and to show justice and judgment. And that's a picture of God that many of us gag on. Um, Do you agree with that or not agree with that? Oh, I agree with that. Did you ever wrestle with that? I did. 
uh, for quite some time. Because um, I knew not only was this at one point offensive to me, but in the circles I traveled with, it was certainly completely unacceptable. In fact, I lost a, a ministry job over that. Um, and I, so I, at one point I just thought, I came to the knowledge of Scripture and said, okay, this is what it says, but I, I can't accept this. I, I can't go down that road. And so I rejected it. For, in fact, somewhere, there, there's probably, I, I preached a message against all five points of Calvinism somewhere. Um, I would love to hear that message. Uh, I hope they never come to light. <laughs> but uh, it's about a, a 75% of my sermons that I... Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I really struggled with that until finally, uh, you know, it, and this is what really, for me, uh, I did not want to believe this. Mm. And so God literally had to change my heart. Mm. And I wrestled with it. I kicked against it until finally I just had to submit. Could you pinpoint the one, going back in your mind, yeah. when you were reading these things, you were studying these texts, and I'm guessing if I were to meet you at that time, I would not find a, a younger Kevin who would say, uh, I want to be as unbiblical as possible, right. I want to craft my own view of God. Of course not. I would, I'm guessing yeah. that I would have found a younger Kevin that would say, I want to be biblically faithful, I want to be found as a faithful servant, um, I want to be true to the text, yeah. I'm just having a hard time. What was it as someone who, because I'm guessing a lot of your listeners, if they log on to something right. with this title, are probably, maybe not all, but probably leaning toward, I, I want to be biblically faithful. Right. So how does a person who, like you at that point, who wants to be biblically faithful, what is it in your mind and in your heart that caused you to say, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, and I don't know if I want to? Yeah. For me, I was studying the doctrine of eternal security. Okay. Um, and I was, was wrestling with that idea. I, I believed it for sure. Eternal security meaning you can't lose your salvation. Right, you can't lose your salvation. Okay. And somebody had asked me the question, well, if I enter into this covenant with God willingly, why can't I just walk away from it? Hmm. If this is based upon my choice, why can't I just simply choose not to? And I had never thought of that before. From a very young child, I remember, you know, once saved, always saved was the credo of, of pretty much any church I'd been involved in. And I just, you know, I kind of took that for granted. But then I thought, you know, why couldn't I walk away from this? And that led me to more of a study of salvation to begin with. Hmm. And the more I saw God's hand in salvation, the more I said, you know, this is less offensive but more comforting. Because, uh, you know, the, uh, I can't think of the hymn right Wants, but uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God, I can see that. Why wouldn't I walk away from this? Because I'm not, I'm not a great Christian. I'm not some great uh, pietistic guy that just. Uh, why wouldn't I walk away? There has to be more than just my my desire and my choices. And so that's what kind of God used to lead me to submit to His will and His revealed. Uh, scripture. Hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering if there's any listeners today, especially if they see the title yeah. of you know today's talk and that is foreknowledge, especially if they couple that with predestination and some right. of those hot button words. I wonder if there's some of our listeners that where you and I were, you know, for me even eight, nine, ten years ago ish, wrestling through these things, 
as someone who at that time would say, I want to be biblically faithful. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to demonize anyone who is wrestling with these words and say, well, clearly, <laughs> clearly you're unsaved and you hate God and right. you don't want to be biblical. No, uh, that, that's not the case. It's just, I think even the Westminster Standards uh, on the section on foreknowledge and predestination give a caution that these right. are high and holy mysteries yeah. and they must be dealt with with care. And, but what that doesn't mean is avoid them at all costs. Right. You know, I think sometimes that's the other default position is, oh, yeah. these are very deep, these are heavy, vis-a-vis, we're just not going to talk about right. it. Well, that, that's not biblically faithful either. No. And for me as a pastor, it seems a little um, short-sighted yeah. to say, I really want you to read your Bible, I want you to study, um, but then when you get to these words, I'll set the example that they're not worth studying by just skipping right. over them. And so for me in our church for the last two and a half years, we've been preaching through the book of Romans. Uh, right now, this Sunday, we've made it to Romans 11. Uh, Romans 11, 11 is where I'm going to pick up. And we'll probably be in Romans for another couple of years. Yeah. And it's been a good discipline for me and a good discipline for our church corporately. Because in Romans, you, <laughs> and if you've ever read Romans through, and if you haven't, I encourage you to. It's very theological. Not necessarily yeah. a systematic theology because it doesn't deal much with you know, the resurrection and, and various things, but pretty close. Right. You know, we've had to deal with depravity, the state of man, salvation by faith alone, justification, our union with Christ versus our union with Adam, uh, new life in Christ and not being a slave to sin and, and the relationship between justification and sanctification. And of course, we spent four months in Romans 8 talking about all the promises of the gospel, yeah. the, the ones we're looking at right now, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined and as we predestinate called, as we call to justify, that your salvation is secure, yeah. who can separate us from the love of Christ. And, and then we went right into Romans 9 and, and had to wrestle with, what does it mean to say, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated? You know, with right. not just zeroing in in a, in a perennial debate and then just going right to Romans yeah. 9, but having marinated in the waters of Romans for over two years and having the background of Romans and the flow of Romans and yeah. the tone of Romans... And it, for me, it brings it into sharper focus. Right. And so I think what I'm saying is, if you really are where Kevin was and where I got to, where you're a believer, you love the Lord, you're wrestling, you just, I just don't quite know what to do with these words, and I think I'm kind of starting to understand, and that's scary for me. Yeah. Be a good student of Scripture and go back and just look at it in context. Because it's, it's pretty easy and cheap and largely unhelpful to go to a coffee shop, get into a debate, run to right. a text that you've never really studied in context, like Romans 9. Because so many people run to Romans 9 who have never studied the beauty of Romans 8. Right. And the whole reason we have Romans 9 is because of what he said in right. Romans 8. He just waxed eloquent in Romans 8 about how you can never lose your salvation yeah. and God will keep you. And on those days where you're losing your grip on Christ, he's not loosening his grip on you. Right. Uh, and the whole Romans 9 comes around to say... Well, has the word of God failed? Meaning, if God is that sovereign and that good, how come most of the Jews haven't believed? Yeah. And then he begins to explain that God's not indebted to anyone. We're all sinners, that it's all of grace. Um, and I'm not saying that Romans 9 is easy to understand, but boy, seeing it in context right. is so much easier. So I encourage you, if you're wrestling, be a good theologian, be a good scholar, um, listen to it in context, I would commend to you John Piper's series on Romans. There's many hours of study, mm. but it's a, it's a worthwhile thing, and they're all free. So go to desiringgod.org and download those. 
and work your way up to Romans 8, 28, and 29, right. and just see what you think. All right, so we'll, we'll get into our, our recommended resources you just mentioned, Piper's. Uh, are there any other resources you would recommend on this topic for someone who wants to delve in a little deeper? Honestly, something I've been doing more lately, pastorally, uh, Ephesians 4, and mm-hmm. I know you know this, is that pastors exist, that have been given by Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right. And it was kind of an aha moment that I, I recommend a lot of books, but I haven't really encouraged people to buy their own commentaries. Yeah. And that's, I feel like I've shortchanged people thinking, well, commentaries aren't the, the currency of the elite, you know, yeah. these are for everybody. So I would say be a student, um, mm. take a year, and in your spare time, in your devotional time, just be a student of the book of Romans. Yeah. And buy good commentaries, whether it's, and buy a couple of them. It's a good investment right. to make. Well, speaking of commentaries, I've got one on my list here by John MacArthur. His commentary of Romans 1 through 8 has a nice little section here on foreknowledge, which is, and again, MacArthur's commentaries are not technical. They're meant for the layperson to read and enjoy and to study. Uh, and it's a good launching pad if you want to get into deeper study as well. He's got that, and I'll, I'll go into another book. So okay, but uh, John Frame, Systematic Theology has a good section on this, a couple of good paragraphs. He's hard to get through. You're going to have to, you know, wade John through John Frame it. is a cyborg. Yes. Like, the size of his brain, theologically, is ridiculous. But he's helpful. And he's a nice guy. He's been on this podcast before. Has he? He has. His, his intellect is oh, yeah. astronomical, but he's, he's helpful. So I'm he's glad a, you're... He's a great guy. Him. As you guys know, although the quality of that audio recording wasn't the greatest. <laughs> I was still working things out. That's but good. So that that's a good... Uh, thing to go through, and I still recommend uh, Bible Doctrine by Wayne Grudem. Mm-hmm. He goes through this as well. If I can give two recommendations Absolutely. on the so what you just recommended are moving from the technical, which is John Frame, which is yeah wonderfully meaty but very meaty. MacArthur's kind of in between, I would say. If you're thinking, boy, I need something for like uh, basic commentaries because yeah. I've never used one, um, the Bishop's Gate hmm. series, the Read, Mark, Learn. It's a little paperback commentary on Romans. You can get them, I think, for maybe $10. They're not as meaty as something like Frame, but pastorally and just just kind of cutting your teeth on commentaries, very helpful. And they even have discussion questions and things, so it's almost devotional. Right. That's a great one on Romans, not expensive. Uh, And then maybe somewhere more on that kind of pastoral uh, scale, ironically, because he's a giant intellectually, but his commentaries... R.C. Sproul, yes. the St. Yes. Andrews series. I think you can get the hardcover commentary from the St. Andrews series for I Sproul on Romans for about $20. Yeah. Very well written, very pastoral, or very Kindle version for half the price. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if you hear us say commentaries and you go, oh boy, um, that's how I feel when anyone talks about algebra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there's so many choices, and we live in such a blessed time, and they're very affordable. So I, I think Kevin and I would be... Just overjoyed if a yeah. listener got back to us and said, hey, I bought my first commentary and you know, I'm digging in. That'd be awesome. All right, last question. And I'm kind of curious here, going back to our, our the beginning of our conversation. I want to see how much of a coffee snob you are. You're, you said you're going to get back in your car and you're going to grab some more coffee. Mm-hmm. Are you heading to Starbucks or Dunkin'? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I don't want to break any hearts. But I, I do not purchase coffee from Dunkin'. 
Uh, I'm, I'm not a Duncan guy. If, if you if you hmm. can't add the extra letter to your name, and you just have to if, if you're if you're that lazy that you have to abbreviate and say Duncan and not Dunking, I wonder if you're cutting corners on your coffee. Wow. You, you can't argue with that logic. It's airtight. Well, I grew up in New England, where Duncan was born. Mm. And we give directions by, you know, pass three Duncans and take a left. Really? So uh, the answer should be Duncan. And I, I'm going to officially label you a coffee snob. Oh. Not, because America runs on Duncan. And so I have to question even your patriotism at this point. Oh, goodness. But that's another podcast. But thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, and, I, uh, uh, it's great to be. It's great to be here. Um, sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. Today. Yes. Which I think I'm going to go grab my wife a Dunkin'. Well, I'll, I'll be praying for you as I drive to Starbucks. <laughs> Kevin, thank you again for having me. I, I hope this has been helpful. Um, and again, we're not we're not affirming the prescient view. We right. we, we do not believe that Scripture says that God merely no. looks down through the quarters of time. In fact, we never gave an actual definition. I think we should give a definition. Uh, I'm going with Grudem here. I have it written down. The personal relational knowledge by which God thought of certain people in a saving relationship to himself before creation. I'll read that again. The personal relational knowledge by which God thought of certain people in a saving relationship to himself before creation. Well, I guess it's good that we gave that definition before we actually signed off. God knows people, not merely facts. Which the good news is for you. That should give comfort. That should give assurance. That's not based upon your actions, your mood at the time. Or uh, even I remember as a kid struggling with the sincerity of did I pray enough or did I really believe enough? And this is all in God's hands. Amen. Amen. It's a source of great comfort, especially on those days where if you are taking the burden of your salvation upon yourself, that I, it's up to my effort and my my pulling myself up by my bootstraps. Uh, that's not what I see with Abraham. Yeah. You know, Joshua 24 is pretty clear that Abraham was an idolater and he was a sinner. And yet God knew him in a loving and saving way right. and called him. Um, Spurgeon said, sometimes I, I have to sit at the foot of the cross and wonder and marvel that I'm saved at all. Yeah. And that really leads to worship to say, Lord, it's not that you looked down and saw what I would do because I, I wised up and made the right decision or got a little morality and came around. Right. No, no, no. I came around because you knew me before the foundation of the world yeah. and out of sheer mercy and grace set your love upon me and foreknew me and predestined me. You foreknew me in love and then you predestined where I'm going, right. my destination. And in time, at a certain time, for me it was when I was 21, you called me to yourself. Yeah. And you look at that and go, man, God's kind of doing a lot there. Yeah, and that's why it's called amazing grace. Right. And we spend the rest of eternity just diving deeper into that and rejoicing in that. All right, we got to stop here. We're way over time. But uh, don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. We can find a list of all of these different resources we've talked about, and uh, there are links to Amazon and other places. And uh, our Twitter, at BasicBibleCast. So until next time, uh, we're going to continue our uh, look at the attributes of God. So until next time, have a great rest of your week.